Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, also keynote and TEDx speaker, and author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating, The Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is Mental Health Gym. It's your place to acquire all kinds of information regarding wellness, rejuvenating, positive psychology, my own particular spit on it that I call goal-achieving psychology. It's also the place where you can communicate with me and even suggest guests for future podcasts. As listeners to the podcast know, my hope and plan is each week to bring you an amazing guest who leads his or her own life enthusiastically and has a unique way of helping us to become the best versions of ourselves. And we're really in store for a real treat today because we have not only an internationally famous person on her topic, but we're doing this internationally. All the way from Singapore, we have Simone Heng, and Simone is a best-selling author and speaker on human connections, which is a topic that we've discussed from time to time as part of other topics, but we haven't really focused on it as, as an individual topic. So Simone is a human connection specialist. She's a former uh, international broadcaster for Virgin Radio Dubai, HBO Asia, and CNBC, among others. With over 15 years of experience around the world as a communicator on air, on stage, and one-to-one communication, she has always made this area her life's work. As a speaker, Simone inspires people to connect in a world thirsty for connection. She has spoken to audiences of thousands and for major industrial clients. Simone and her work have been featured in Vogue, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, CNN, and many more. Uh, Simone's debut book, Secret Pandemic, The Search for Connection in a Lonely World, is a Singaporean bestseller, as well as an Amazon US number one bestseller, in the social science reference category. And this is happening at an opportune time because an audio version of her book is soon to be out. And uh, around the time of this podcast, when this drops, it will be on all major audiobook retailers. So you'll be able to get it right as soon as the podcast ends. So (laughs) I read it myself, Ron. It's my (laughs) own voice reading it. So all those years of radio, you have to okay, listen to well, my experience. I'm envious of you for for the courage in doing it. I had somebody read mine for me, uh, and uh, I, I think it was a wise decision for me, but not for you. Anyway, as you've heard her communicator's voice, this is Simone Heng. Welcome, Simone. It's such a pleasure to have you on the Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser podcast. Thank you so much, Ron, and what great work that you do. 
it's mentioned in the book a lot, but my mum is actually uh, lives in Australia and has had a really tumultuous ageing experience and I, I wish um, it could have been different for her and so I'm so glad that you're adding value to people's lives in that time of their lives. Well, I'm glad to hear that, but let's talk about you. First of all, thank you for getting up early to be on this. Uh, thank you for uh, staying up late. <laughs> <laughs> this is being recorded on a Monday in my time, but Simone is already into Tuesday, so she's way ahead of us. But uh, let, let's start out with uh, the important issue. Why is human connection and social connectedness such a big issue? I mean, we're human beings. We've got mouths. We've got brains. Why is it so difficult for so many? Yeah, I think there are three major big issues happening at the moment. And then I'll go into why it's so important. But why it's a big issue is, firstly, as you know, in the US and actually even in Europe, there's a lot of polarization happening right now. So within families, because of certain certain contentious issues, there is disconnection happening for people. Uh, Secondly, um, we've just come out of a global pandemic. So people's, particularly in Asia, we've only just come out and people's social skills have atrophied. And the third reason why it's a really big issue is we're going to enter the world of Web 3.0. And this is where people will be like living in the metaverse and be relating to each other with avatars. And so these three things are what is making human connection more discussed, I think, than it's ever been before. And also maybe I should add as a fourth issue, which is what my book is actually about, is that we have a loneliness epidemic globally, not just in the States. And what we know as human beings is we evolved in tribes. We were connected, living together on the savannah. Our brain created the meaning, the narrative that there was safety in numbers because if we were by ourselves on that savannah, a predator would pick us off or a a foreign tribe might come and obliterate us. So we very quickly made the association in our minds that there's safety in numbers. If I'm connected, I'm safe. And then if by chance we were cast out of this tribe, our body would be filled with cortisol and other stress hormones trying to fight or flight, right? Mm -hmm. So this is why being lonely, separated from our tribe, whether that be actually that we are alone or we perceive ourselves to be lonely, is very damaging for our health, immunity and our longevity our body becomes bombarded by stress hormones for people who feel that they are lonely over long periods of time. And this is why loneliness is more dangerous for our lifespan than smoking and, you know, obesity. So there is real science behind why being socially well-connected is very, very good for us. So it sounds like to some extent, it's almost like a physiological need, almost like you know, yeah. food and water, sleep. Some of exactly. Those. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food, water, sleep, shelter. And after that, love and belonging. So love, connection, belonging. We can't really get to that highest integration of ourselves without getting those basic needs met. And um, connection is one of them. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm so glad that I asked you to be a guest. I'm really looking forward to finding out more about this. But uh, as I did mention in the introduction, I mean, we've had uh, a number of psychologists, coaches, yoga teachers. Uh, you're the, the first 
human connection specialists that we've had. How how does one become one? And how did you happen to get into this line of work? How how did you become Simone Hang? Sure. So firstly, I like to use the word specialist because I don't like to call myself an expert. And truly, I am a specialist because I'm a student of this. So I interview just like you do, Ron, like um, people who I believe are doing human connection really well, teachers at schools where the children have autism on all different spectrums and they're every day pivoting to connect, taxi drivers who are having to appease different clients every single point of the day and interviewing them, finding out what they do. And on top of that, studying my own research, like some of the science that I just mentioned to you, and then, of course, writing my own book about it. So when I say specialist, I specialize in the field because I'm a researcher and a student in the field. And then I also am very lucky to travel the world as a professional speaker, speaking to Fortune 500 organizations about the topic. So really, I live for this message that being more connected allows us to be our best. And that is how I kind of, I got the name. I was a broadcaster for many years, so I was connecting for work, but I saw massive holes and started to really realize there's a huge difference between communication and connection. You can watch a newscaster on television who has been trained not to connect with you. They've been trained to be objective, communicate information to you, but not to connect with you. And I think that's a real big, fascinating difference that I realized after 15 years in media that I wanted to connect with people, which is what I was seeing when I'd get up on a stage to maybe MC an event. I wanted more of that connection um, and the communication piece. I kind of felt, well, I, after 15 years, I had that under my belt. And so, however, I do think that the media prepared me well to do the work that I do now. So that's how I came to be Simone Hay. <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, I'm wondering, though, do you ever feel like you're fighting a losing battle? I mean, I, you know, I, I predate cell phones. And uh, it, one of the things that, that really bothers me, I, I can, we can, my wife and I can go to a restaurant, or maybe with another couple, and we'll see a table of six people. They place their order. And during the time that, at least historically, people have talked, you might see six different people dealing with six different cell phones, I guess connecting with, I guess some of them are connecting with somebody through texting and so on. Some are probably just scrolling for news. But I mean, as as we've advanced as a society, doesn't it make your, your job more difficult? Yeah, I think there is, this is a job and there's a few people around the world that have this same vocation that I do. And it is a job because of this. And there's a whole chapter in my book called Paradox, which is about the fact that we are connecting. That is different from feeling connected. And we are more, are more digitally connected than we've ever been, as in we have faster access, but we're lonelier than we've ever been. And this comes down to boundaries. So do I feel we're um, having a losing battle? Look, I'm much older than I look. I'm 38. I think the Chinese genes just might keep me looking a bit younger. So I'm a zenial. I grew up with an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. And I really see a huge difference in the human connection skills of the young Gen Zs that I meet or the people that if I had children could be the age of children that I would have right now. Um, if I had a kid at 20, you know, an 18-year-old, for example, there is a huge difference in the 
way that they gauge social cues, charisma. I sat down with my friend the other day and I thought, have I been charmed by anyone, you know, 20 years old and younger recently? This idea of being charming. Do you, you remember what it is to be charming? And I think that's the moment where I realized the impact of social, like social media and mobile phones is that I have not been charmed by anyone yet of that generation. That, that thing that we saw during the analog days that was a skill has a little bit been lost. And I actually should do some research on what it's been replaced by, but I believe we can. Technology is not going to slow down, Ron. When Web 3.0 happens, it's going to forget losing charm. I think it's going to threaten a lot of other skills, but it's also going to bring us a lot of amazing things. But accepting that it's not going anywhere is the first part of the battle. And then secondly, putting in place boundaries for yourself and your family and your grandkids or um, your parents, for example, that you have a code within the house of how the mobile phones are used. And you must also embody that code. So I have um, a few rules. I'm very active online on social media, but everything is pre-planned during work days and then is posted um, at other times so that when I'm out with people, I can be fully connected and I can be fully present and I can put my phone away because the marketing needs of my business are taken care of and they are separate from me. It is not my job to paparazzi my own life and cover on social media my own life, which is what I did in my 20s. And I talk about how regretful I am that I lost presence and mindfulness for a decade of my life. And I ask my friends and family to post for photos and to show up on my social media, which maybe they didn't want to. And how many conversations it interrupted, asking them to do that. So I have special rules now about how I engage online. I also don't do business on WhatsApp. Do you use WhatsApp in the States, Ron? It's more iMessenger or something, right? Yeah, some people do. And I've actually got it in my phone because somebody told me to, but I, I don't know that I've ever used it. Yeah, it's really popular in Asia. And it's almost replacing email. But I find it very triggering because I purposely use WhatsApp for my personal contacts and I keep professional stuff on email so that I don't get pinged about work things invasively through to my phone. Um, and even though I have turned the notifications off on it, when I go to reply to a family member, I don't want work things triggering me. And so these are just boundaries that I've put in place for myself to allow me to be more present, to certainly not be at a dining table on my phone surrounded by other people on a mobile phone. There's no way. Like I, I lost 10 years to that. I don't want to live that going forward into my 40s and 50s for sure. And so I would ask those people struggling with it in their families, what, what can you have a group family meeting, connect and ask, for what boundaries could be put in place, whether that's mealtimes, it's a no-go. About weekends, maybe it's a no-go. How you can put in boundaries with your mobile phone use. That can work for the whole family. Because at the end of the day, your human connections are your legacy. You will not be at the end of your life. Like I write about this in my mum in my book. My mother lives in a nursing home. She's got a very rare degenerative disease. So she has the worst things that we all fear about in aging, a disease that takes both the cognitive but also the physical. So imagine an Alzheimer's mixed with an MS in one rare disease that affects only 600 families around the world. So at the age of 30, when 29, when this happened, but 30, when I moved back to Australia, 
I spent probably more time in a nursing home facility than any of my peers at that age who would just get, they were just getting married and enjoying having their first babies. And I was here hanging out at a nursing home facility and watching people age quite badly and pass away. And one of the things I can tell you is none of the people at that stage of their life sit around thinking, oh, I wish I replied to that work contact on WhatsApp. (laughs) You know, why didn't I get back to that work project fast enough? None of them talk about what job they had, what car they owned, how, how big their house was. Every single person there was pining for human connections to visit them. And the people that sowed the best human connections in their lifetime by being present, by putting that mobile phone away, um, I can imagine if there were mobile phones in their era, they were the ones that had the visitors. And those visitors extend their lifespan and keep them more healthy um, than those people that were left alone. So you look at it every time you want to pick up that phone or do whatever you think at the end of my life, will I care about this? It's a very good bit of emotional leverage to put the phone away. That's, uh, there's, there's a lot of science to support what you'd indicated that, that it does, it is a life extender if you have the personal connections and so on. But I mean, we've you've just given them about five minutes of really tremendous practical advice. Is that the kind of stuff that's in your book or what, what, what's, what's in it? <laughs> So the book is an amalgamation of of memoir as well as self-help. So each chapter begins with a story and then we, from my personal life or from a case study, and we analyze and break down the story and then each um, chapter ends with connection challenges. So really practical tips on how whatever's been exemplified or brought to life by the story can be put into your life. So in the chapter about forgiveness, for example, learning to say sorry in in an impeccable way, there are all of these points about, you know, if you were to scroll through your phone and you go through your contacts and there's there's people's names that come up that you you feel a bit of energy around, have a moment and sit. Why is that energy a bit blocked? Do you owe that person an apology? Does that person owe you an apology? How could you reach out and... um, and make amends for whatever that ener- that that blocked energy is around that contact. So really practical tips that you can, even if you wanted, there's 10 chapters, if you wanted to block off a chapter a month to use actively, I feel like you could really add some value into the connection orbits in your life for sure. Well, do people realize this? In other words, uh, is, there, uh, is there some clue that says, hey, I need help in this area? Or if somebody is grown up a particular way and they either their the quality of their relationships are more superficial or they're they see themselves as being shy and reserved or things of this nature and then they they move to a different yeah. place or they retire or something and and the few connections that they have are, are reduced even more how does somebody know it's a problem if that's the case Absolutely. So let's talk first about the gender split and then about why lonely people don't often know that they're lonely. So let's first talk about this idea of the superficial connections. So we know on average outside of the blue zones, men live approximately around seven years less than women. And this is to do with the fact that men seem to go more shallow and wide with their connections versus women going more narrow and deep. And so there is 
actual real value um, to building deeper, deeper connection in your life, um, particularly as you reach older age. So people that you can be vulnerable with, people that you can call on if you're having an existential crisis. And this is the work of Susan Pinker that I'm quoting, fantastic book called The Village Effect that I highly recommend on social connection. So that's the first thing. So there's evidence to show that going deeper and investing in your connections to make them deeper rather than the just the how's the weather sort of information is good. Secondly, I want to move us into the fact that it's hard for lonely people to know that they're lonely. Mm. So, you know, here is my format that I get people to think about to detect whether maybe they could be lonely. So Bruce A. Austin at Rochester University created a loneliness scale. I think 20, 30 years ago, he did this work. So he, we already knew 20 to 30 years ago that loneliness was an increasing issue. And now we're at kind of epidemic status. But he worked out that there are, three different types of loneliness. The first is intimate loneliness. This is craving a close partner that you can truly be vulnerable with. So this could be a romantic partner. This could also be a best friend. The second loneliness kind of rung is relational loneliness. And this is where you don't feel like you're part of a social fabric. Could I call somebody um, for help if I'm in a bind? And I recently, when I went back to Perth, you know, obviously I have very close social connections here in Singapore, but went back to Perth to be with my mum, was looking into egg freezing, Ron. And the lady, the doctor said to me, well, at the end of the egg freezing, you will be zonked out and you will need someone to come and pick you up from the procedure. And I sat there and I, I know two people that I could ask, but I know they're not in the financial position that I could ask them to take a day off work. The egg freezing only happens Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I felt very alone in that moment. I felt like I wasn't part in that city where I don't live of a social fabric where I could ask for that sort of favor. But then I, um, in, in the end, I told the story to my uncle and he was like, oh my gosh, it doesn't have to be a woman that picks you up. Of course I'll pick you up, right? But I can't imagine what that might be like in my city where I do live in Singapore, not being able to be part of a social fabric where I could call for that favour. The third rung is collective loneliness. And this is where people feel they don't have a group that has a common vision or interest, like a cycling group, a crafting group, a church group, that they could be part of. So people who have things in common with them on that scale. And so if you look through these three rungs, okay, intimate, relational, and collective loneliness, we have all felt lonely at least once in our lives in one of those places. But if you feel right now, if I, if I define those three things for you and rewind the podcast if you need to listen to them again, and you think, I don't have any of them, I don't have any of those three parts of the loneliness scale, it's highly likely you're lonely. And then we can go about looking into ways to improve your social connection. Boy, this is so fabulous. I, oh. I'm going to re-listen several times to get all this stuff. It, that, that's terrific. What about, you know, if I were several decades younger and, and raising my sons uh, as opposed to... Uh, them being being older than you now, um, 
What kinds of things, I, I know I would assume that the matter of, of setting some kinds of ground rules, as you discussed earlier, uh, is probably part of it, having some limit setting, but anything in particular to kind of not just assume that they're going to, uh, don't assume that they're they're going to learn without going to school. I don't assume that they're going to be particularly good at sports unless they get uh, some coaching. Um, but I think a lot of us kind of assume that social stuff is going to, going to take care of itself unless there's an extreme problem. But, you know, if I'm a conscientious parent, what do I want to do? I wish that every parent, if you read my book, you'll understand this, could just put on their fridge this line that says, you know, the primary need of children with their, with their primary caregiver is love and connection, all of the other stuff. So the book centers on my forgiveness of my, of my mum, who's now very ill, and how I was kind of withheld love from her. This is the early chapters of the book and how that shows up in how you then learn as a child to love and connect with other people. So I became very needy for love and validation as a result of the love that was withheld to me. Great book. Please, everyone, get this book if you're a parent by Oprah and Bruce D. Perry. That is out right now. And in the book, there's a chapter. It, the book is called What Happened to You, but there's a chapter in it that talks about we love how we were loved. So if a child does not feel connected to their primary caregiver, what actually happens is that they form a suspicion of people, that people are not to wholly be trusted, that people cannot fully be relied upon. And this then makes its way, it bleeds into how the child then socialises beyond the home. And certainly it showed up for me over and over again until I, um, till I started the work that I do and went through therapy about the age of 31. And then my whole world transformed, my happiness transformed, right? So that's the primary thing. In those days as a parent, when you're exhausted, you're tired, for the mums out there, you are running the extracurricular calendar and you're worried that, oh, they don't have, you know, the perfect lunchbox and they don't have the perfect size uniform to go to school. They got a stain on it and they're growing out. And these things are filling your mind. Just remember what they primarily need from you is that love and connection. And if you're providing that wholeheartedly and your child is feeling that wholeheartedly, brothers and sisters, you are doing your job. <laughs> the rest of it, the rest of it will actually take itself. The being good at sports, the getting good grades. I mean, of course they need attention, but I was a straight A student and a very high achiever but the baseline of that love and connection for myself and others was not there because it was given to me in kind of 80% and often withdrawn for me as a child. So the, the primary thing is the love and connection. That's real, real important to, to be aware of. I, uh, I, I want everybody to get the book, but is there anything before I move on to... To yeah. something else in our limited time, is there any other basic principle or two from, from the book that is really important to share it in this podcast? Yeah, I actually just want to just loop back to something you're talking about, if people are introverted or extroverted, because this is a common question. I think introversion, extroversion, people, it's been in the media a lot and people kind of throw it, throw it around and, and think about how it links to human connection. So I get asked on it a lot. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you need connection. Everyone's different, right? So it's on a different scale how much you need it. But the really unhealthy aspects of loneliness start to happen 
when our choice around being able to connect is taken away. So even if an introvert is made to be socially distant, like we've seen in the pandemic, against their will, eventually they will still want and need human connection. And I want people to understand that introversion, extroversion is more about how you gain energy than it is about needing and not needing human connection. So that I would like to leave that just bringing back on our previous conversation about um, how people connect. Great, great. And as I said, I hope everybody will buy the book, but I know you're not one-dimensional in that way. Uh, what other things do you have to offer people? Is there a website, a group, things? Uh, how else can people get get to learn more from you and, and connect with you if that's possible? Ron, you're such a pro. <laughs> um, so I also believe if you talk about human connection, you should build communities. So I run an online public speaking community, if you like how I've spoken today. If you have someone in your family who you feel could profit from monthly webinars on different presentation skills topics, everything from using the camera like we're doing now to maybe enhancing your personal brand online, anything to do with communicating. We have a community of over 300 um, members. And if you want to just join my, you know, my email list so that you get free tips, that's great too. Um, and you can find that way to get in there by finding me anywhere on social media. You can even email me to hello at simonehang.com and let me know and I'll add you to the list. Um, so that community is available at courageousspeaking.com. And then of course we have the book as well, which is on sale right now, but just has dropped as audio book. So if you prefer to be doing your household chores while listening, and if you can stand to hear my voice for a few hours, I am reading my own audiobook. That is now available online at all the major audiobook retailers. Great. And we'll have all this information available in the show notes. So um, there won't be any excuses for number one, not not being in touch with you uh, and and getting your uh, all that you have to offer. And number two, for not working on so being socially connected, because, you know, again, I, I do want to emphasize as a psychologist that we're, we're talking about an actual need. It's not just it's nice to have friends. It's or, not a woo woo thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> As happens too often, uh, we run out of time before I run out of, of questions and uh, may have to uh, do one of these two-day kinds of things again where I, I'm in one uh, on one day and you're on the next, but because I, I know you still have a whole lot more to offer. But is there anything in particular that you think I should have asked you but didn't? Anything else that you think... I should be aware of, or in our listeners should be aware of, uh, before we draw this really, really important episode to a close. No, I think um, I think you did so perfectly, and thank you so much for your time. And it was so lovely to connect with you. And I guess the only thing I want to do is take a picture of my mobile phone of this to share online that you and I met and connected today across the oceans and the skies. <laughs> well, it was just such a pleasure. I, I think uh, despite the, the decades between us, I think we're, we're kindred spirits and uh, really have some really important 
things that we share that, that can help make this world a better place and make people be the best versions of themselves. And I am so grateful, Simone, for taking the time, getting up early and sharing <laughs> your wisdom, <laughs> sharing all your wisdom and knowledge with the audience. Thanks again. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. In the meantime, this is Dr. Ron Kaiser. We're signing off. I uh, hope that you all enjoyed this episode. I can't imagine that you couldn't uh, or didn't, but please tell your friends about it and download the episode, rate it, comment, and also be back next week when we have another uh, informative, important, entertaining guest. Simone set a high bar today, but we'll, we'll, we'll try and keep this going. And in the meantime, please visit the mental health gym and stay positive, um, stay safe out there and really stay socially connected. So until next time, this is Dr. Ron Kaiser signing off. Thanks again, Simone, and looking forward to reading the book. And remember, even though the audio book is coming out now, you if you're an ebook reader, you can you can get it. If you like to, as I do, have the physical copy in front of you, that's you know probably the most what I call the real kind of book. Uh, so, wh whatever way you gain knowledge, it's there for you. And once again, let's have a, another real good week. Keep growing, keep changing, keep being positive, and see you next time.